Uh, as we come now to this scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, it's, um, it's a wonder and a delight to open up the Bible. It's a wonder because the God who made everything is communicating with us. The one we can't see or hear with our physical ears now speaks. And so I pray that we're just awestruck even as these words come to us. And it's a delight because we know that you give us this word for our joy that we might know you and that we might be secure in you and we might walk with you. For there's no other joy, no greater joy than that. So please, I pray now, help us as we hear and think about your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to James in chapter 5, please. James in chapter 5. Um, I want to read just the last two verses, verses 19 and uh, 20. You may get the impression that we'll be finished with James after this week, but by now many of you should know better. Uh, there might be uh, perhaps one more week. And the response to this reading of the word, I've been messing it up because I have various translations of the Bible going through my head and out my mouth all the time, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I'm going to stick to the one that we have in the bulletin. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains Forever, that's out of the English Standard Version. So, James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Very good. Um, just reading the last two verses, you know, we've been, many of us have been uh, thinking through James, this letter since about mid-February with a few weeks off uh, uh, for summer vacation for me and so forth. But, but since about mid-February, so it's been a while. And, 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 and even for us who've been reading through this, this sounds rather like an abrupt ending. I mean, he's been writing and, you know, most of the letters of the New Testament that we read end with something like, oh, by the way, say hi to so-and-so and hi to so-and-so and hi to so-and-so. And by the way, thanks for this and thanks for that. And, and by, the, by the way, may the Lord bless you and keep you, right? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours now and always. Some sort of blessing at the end. Not James. He just kind of goes, oh, pfft. you know, I'm going to give you one more command, one more exhortation. And, and so, so we get it now, the style, but it can't keep us from asking the question, why is he concerned about this? He's got two different people in mind in just these last couple of verses. He has wanderers and rescuers, right? Wanderers and rescuers. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from this truth and someone brings him back. So we've got this one who is wandering. We have another in the community of, of the church who brings them back, if you were. So wanderers and rescuers. We're going to talk next Sunday a bit about rescuers. But this week I want to talk about wandering a bit. To talk about wandering. 
And, and so my question, just as I come, my first question as I come to this passage is why is James, why does James think about those who might wander from the truth? And why is it then important to go get them? That's next week. But, but, but why do these wanderers come to mind? And I think this, at least, that given how he understands what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow him, and, 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 and given what it really means to be, what we might say, an authentic Christian, for lack of a better term. I, I hate the fact that we have to use all these modifiers for the word Christian. But uh, to be an authentic one, if you will, a real, to really be a believer in and a follower of. And I use that expression that way, believer in and follower of, because I think I'll, maybe I'll explain this if I think about it later, uh, uh, why I use that expression, because I think it follows, it follows James. But, but, but what we find, what we've found as we've worked our way through this letter is James is interested in helping his readers and us, understand what it means to really have faith in Jesus. It isn't just that we profess it, we must do that. It isn't just that we believe the right stuff about Jesus, we we must do that. But also, he says, we should see it as well. It's a faith that functions, if you will. It's a faith that lives. And we see that from the, from the very beginning. Uh, he's writing to a group of people, he says, are facing various trials. Right? Chapter 1, verse 2. Facing various trials. Now, we understand the trials, at least as some regard it, they're going through, partially from what he describes as issues that they face. But, but also, we, we know that as he addresses them, that they're the dispersed ones. So we get a sense that they're dispersed probably because of persecution. They probably came from Jerusalem when the persecution hit through Saul of Tarsus, who later became the apostle. But, but that persecution, and they, they fled Jerusalem. And James was a um, probably the key, if you will, elder, head of the church in Jerusalem. So he writes to them, and, 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 and their various trials, no doubt, come at least in part from their situation, that they're refugees, that they're scattered about. And so they've given up a great deal. Um, you, you know how it is with refugees. I remember when I was uh, 15, uh, we moved my family from Pennsylvania to uh, Florida, South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. And, um, and it was, that was my first encounter with refugees. I met um, people in my school whose family had fled from Cuba and, uh, in those days. And, and, and what I found is that, that their parents, and they left, many of them had very high standing in Cuba before they left. Many of them had a lot of money before they left Cuba. But now they didn't have high standing they previously had been doctors, perhaps, or professors, perhaps. Now they weren't. They had left their money, many of them, not all, but many of them. And they found themselves in a very different situation. And they found themselves struggling in various ways. And I think about that when I think about this. And here's people who had left Jerusalem, and no doubt many of them had left certain standing in Jerusalem, left certain uh, stuff that they had accumulated, wealth perhaps, 
And now they had none of that because they had to flee for their lives as ones who were persecuted for their faith. And not only that, all the, the tensions that would come because of wondering, God, where are you? Why is this happening to us? We're believers in you and we're trying to follow you. And, and yet now all these hardships have come upon us. Uh, I, I suppose as we read through the Bible, the one that sticks out to us most is Job in such a situation. Not that he was a refugee, but he lost everything. And he suffered, therefore. His various trials seem to be about as complete as a human being can experience in terms of various trials. He he suffered um, emotionally and relationally. He lost his children. His wife turned against him at particular places. Uh, He he lost his social standing, obviously. He lost his wealth. Uh, He lost his health. Uh, He lost it all, it seemed, right? And even spiritually, he went through a trial. He kept wondering, why am I going through this? And his friends would say, in essence, it's because of your sin. And he would reply, well, if it's because of my sin, why aren't you suffering as well? And so so when you go through various trials, you see, James is saying, our faith gets tested. So how do you live with one whose faith is being tested. Well, he gives wisdom by saying, God has a purpose for this. This is the way you grow. We grow into maturity. Um, Just like if you're trying to get more fit, uh, your strength is tested by the the exercises and the workouts that you do. uh, And what you're building up in that is endurance, more strength. And in the same way, spiritually, we go through various tests and trials, however they may be. They're tests of our faith as believers, whether it's in difficulties that we have in relationships or difficulties that we have financially or difficulties that we have physically, right? Or difficulties that we have as we struggle even with temptation. Uh, these things come, he says, James, when you go through various trials to strengthen you. They produce in you endurance or steadfastness, or perseverance, you see. And that's good for us. That's how we grow up to maturity. So he says, he says, when you're living out your life, what it means to have faith, it means to be steadfast. It means to persevere. It means to keep going in the faith. Continue to believe. Continue to live it out, you see. That's what it means. And, and he says in, in chapter 1, then verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And James understands, you see, what it means to, to even come to faith. That's the result of a work of God. In verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. You see, that, that's, he gives us... New life, as we hear the word, you see that's, that plants in us, springs in us by the power of the Spirit working in that word to change us, to change our hearts. As Ezekiel said, take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. As Jeremiah said, to write his law upon our minds and our hearts. Gives us a new heart. Jesus would use the expression to be born again. You see, that's what James is talking about there. He says, something's happened. And what's happened is that you've, you've, you've got a new life, a whole new identity. You're different in the same way that, that Paul wrote, that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. 
something has happened. And that has changed everything, if you will, about you. Forgiving your sins, yes. Righteous in Christ, as we talked about last week. Um, adopted into God's family, accepted by him. But a whole new now orientation to life. An orientation to life that's such that when you hear, that when you go through various trials that you're accounted all joy, there's something in that that you go, yes! I get that. And the way I counted joy is because my heart's desire now is to grow up in Jesus. My heart's desire now is to, to mature in him. So uh, if you'd asked me that before... I was brought forth by the word. I would say, that's nonsense. I I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have any difficulties in my life, especially for that. But now you go, no, 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 no. A, parenthetically, not sure I really want any difficulties. But when they come, I can at least embrace them and say, I know what this is for. I know where this is heading. I can count this joy even in the midst of this because I know what it will bring, you see. I know what it will bring. And so James begins then to lay out. And he says, all right, first of all, we must be quick to listen. We must be hearers of that which is true. Hearers of that which is true about God and about us from him. But not just that. We need to be quick to listen. But not just listeners. We also need to be doers. Because what we hear, you see is intended to work in and through us to change us so that we can be increasingly conformed to the image of Christ, increasingly grow up. And so we're hearers, not just hearers, but we are repliers, we're doers. That's what it means to really have faith. That's why when I say, I often use the expression that we're believers in and followers of, I, I shouldn't have to use both words. Because they both mean the same thing, just from a little different perspective. But I say a believer in, yes, we need to believe all the right stuff, all the truth. We need to believe in Jesus, the true Jesus of the scripture. And all that he is and all that he did. We need to believe that. But but it's not just simply saying, oh, checking off a box. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. But that then changes everything, should. And then I begin to live in such a way to please him. At least that's my desire. And don't do it as well. But that's my desire to please him. So I'm a believer in and a follower of. But but I'm always afraid when I say follower of that people think, well, I'm just supposed to, to, to you know, what would Jesus do kind of thing. Well, sorry, I can't do what Jesus did. I know if you have those bracelets, you're wearing them, that's fine. But, but, but really they should say, what did Jesus command as opposed to what did Jesus do? Because he did all kinds of cool stuff I, I could never do, you know. Like, he forgave people's sins and, and he, you know, raised the dead and stuff. So uh, that's beyond me. I can't always do what Jesus did. I get the point of it. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I'm to be a learner, a disciple, really, of him. And so I, I, I want to, to, what do I learn? Well, as a disciple of Jesus, the thing he teaches me, first and foremost, is about who he is. And what he's done. You see, that's the first thing. It isn't do this, do that. It's this is who I am. Learn this. Know this. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You see, this is who I am. I'm humble of heart. I give myself for you. You need to know that. And then once I know who he is and what he has done, then I can understand who I am and why I need him. 
It's the second thing I learned, you see. And then, as a follower, I trust him and repent. I turn from my own way and follow after him, you see. Believing, trusting in him that he's died for me, thus forgiven. And in his death, his righteousness is mine as well. His obedience is for me. All that he's done is for me. So, 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 James says, not only be a listener, but also a doer. And he sums it up then in verse 26. I'm giving you a review today, if you haven't noticed. Uh, uh, verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives, uh, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father resists to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James' point there, specifically these things to them, but his point there is that if you're a believer in Jesus, then you'll see it. It'll show in your life because something has changed in you. And you'll, you'll see it. You'll guard the things that you say. You'll be compassionate to those in need. And you'll desire to live and strive to live by the Holy Spirit in such a way that the world doesn't stain you with its thoughts, its ways, sins. But that you'll live a life cleansed, you see. And you'll see it. And he, he gives two sort of, that's one summary statement. The other summary statement of that is in chapter 2, verse 14, when he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does, does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, James isn't saying we're saved by our works, but he's saying if we're saved, that is, that we've been rescued by God out of our sin, and we've been forgiven and given the Spirit, then, then shouldn't you see that? So you can't just say, oh yeah, I believe. Oh, all right, sure. But if your life doesn't show it, perhaps you're deceived. Perhaps you really don't believe. That's his point. So he goes on then to say, verse 17, so also faith by itself, it doesn't have works, is dead. That is, faith is not evidenced by works. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead, you see. And we get that. And so earlier in chapter 2, he says, listen, if, to, to these believers, he says, if, if you're really a believer in Jesus, then you won't show favoritism on the basis of status and wealth. That would be inconsistent with being a believer in Jesus. In chapter 3, he says, you'll watch the things that you say. You won't bless God in one minute and then curse each other in the next. And then he says that, that, that you won't quarrel among yourself about stuff. Things that this one has or this one has and this one doesn't and this one doesn't. But rather you'll, you'll pray. You'll look to God for the things that you need. You'll, you'll pray and you'll live a life that's humble and not proud. And thus you won't judge, be judgmental towards each other. But actually be generous and kind and merciful to each other. And you won't presume upon God and think, well, I've said this, so it's going to happen, or I've said that, and it's going to happen. But rather, if the Lord wills, you see, we become trustworthy on him. And then he says that we'll live patiently. And the reason we'll live patiently, because we know he's going to come back. And so whatever difficulties we face now, even if it's injustice against us and we can't stop it, still we'll live patiently, we'll trust, we'll wait, knowing that he'll come back. And when he does, he'll set all things right. And then we'll be people who pray 
We'll pray because we know we must, because we have needs. We're dependent upon him. So we'll pray for ourselves. We'll pray for each other. We'll pray when we suffer. We'll pray when we're happy. We'll pray when we're sick. We'll pray for forgiveness when we sin. And all of that. And now, he says, there are times when people may wander from this truth. They've heard it. They've professed it. But where are they? They're not living it. And that's a curious thing. In fact, in some ways, it's a bit of a scary thing. I mean, I, I read that passage from Matthew 13 about the parable of the, parable of the sower. And, and I think its primary application is, is to let us know what happens when, when, when we share the gospel, that these things can happen. But, but yet, I, I can't help, and I don't think I'm supposed to help, but thinking about it in the way of, of wondering what happens when people wander away from the truth. I mean, Jesus mentions such a thing as a possibility, verse 20 of Matthew 13. For what was sown on the rocky ground is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You go, seen that? And I've seen that. People receive it with joy and, and then live a whole life of trusting and following Jesus. But then he says, Yet he has no roots in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And you think, I've seen that too. Not as often, but I've seen that. That too. Whether it's in the life of an eight-year-old who has a great smile and countenance and believe in Jesus. And then when they're 30, I don't know where they are, you see? Or whether it be an adult who comes in great faith for a while and and then it becomes more difficult, life does, and what happened? We've seen that, all of us. Or verse 22 is, for what was sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it proves unfruitful, and we've seen that too. Right, and so the difficulty you see when someone is wandering it could be us when someone is wandering wandering not wandering wandering um, we wonder what's what's up what's up but, but then before we get to that next week but, but, but then we begin to think but, but I thought we were secure I thought that, that if we really were born again then and we really believed you see then we, we, we can't lose this and you're right that's true I mean, there's all kinds of passages in the scripture would give us great assurance let me just, just uh, Bible bash you for a minute and run through these if you don't have these marked in your Bible you should I don't have opportunity to read the whole context of every passage but but just know these are there these are my go-to's I have them marked in my Bible many of them are in my mind but I'll read them because I've memorized them in different versions and who knows what would come out but John chapter 5 verse 24 Jesus says truly truly I say to you Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. Right? That's very definitive. Very definitive there. Then in chapter 6, in this great passage of Jesus speaking about himself as the bread of life, he, he puts it like this, John chapter 6 and uh, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not only to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him on the last day. All that's consistent, you see, with, with the gospel. It's, it's a matter of trusting, believing. It's not on the matter of what I've done or contribute, but on the matter of what Christ has done. That's our ultimate assurance, you see, is, is in him. These, knowing these, are, are true. Um, and then chapter 10, I read this after our confession this morning. Um, verse 27, Jesus is speaking about being the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So if you're in Jesus' hand, you're in the Father's hand. And, and no one can get us. I heard an old preacher once say, we might be able to jump from knuckle to knuckle. But we'll never be able to get out. And no one will be able, uh, able to snatch us out of his hand. And then, of course, Romans in chapter 8. It's a great passage to tell us of our security in Jesus as those who believe, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we see there's no break in that. This work of God, he he he. he predestines us he knows our destiny he calls us to be his just like jesus called lazarus and he came forth he's called us that's why i love when i pray at a baptism you know this person's name please call them by their name call them out you see call them and then he justifies and then he glorifies so those he's predestined he does call it's a guarantee those he calls, he also justifies. It's a guarantee. Those he justifies, he also glorifies. It's guaranteed. No one from the beginning of that chain to the end of it uh, falls out. And then he goes on at the end of the chapter thirty, uh, chapter eight, beginning with verse thirty-one, and describes that 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 if we belong to Jesus, that He defends us. No one can condemn us. And so he says, no, verse 37, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, nothing can separate us. All the calamities of life, nothing can separate us. And then in Ephesians and chapter 1 and verse 13 we read this. It says, 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He says, first of all, you were sealed. You see, his authentic seal is upon you. And what that means is that you belong to him. That if we could see ourselves the way the Lord sees us, we would see that somewhere on our bodies, let's say forehead, because that's sort of, and I have way more room than I used to. So forehead, uh, that uh, uh, there's a seal on us. And the seal says, this one belongs to me. Right? And then he gives us a down payment. And that down payment is the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll give you this. Holy Spirit, I'll come to you. I'll abide in you. I'll live in you. Here I am. My spirit is within you. And that's the down payment. And down payments are guarantees that more is to come. I'm going to fulfill this. It will come to completion someday. And again, that kind of down payment is only as good as the guarantor. But if you're going to take a down payment, you want to take a down payment that's sufficient, that will put in your mind, oh yes, this, this will get fulfilled. Well, he gives us himself. He gives us his spirit. And he says, that should do it. You should trust me now. That should do it. I've given you my spirit. He's the guarantee that I'll fulfill all my promises. And so you have it. And then, of course, in Philippians, in chapter 1, a go-to for many of us, I'm sure, verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And then Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 25, for me at least, another go-to. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That is, Jesus lives to defend us, always. He's always, if you will, on our side. He's always saying, no, that one's mine. That one's mine. And so we never have to worry, you see. And so when you think about being secure, we are. So what about these wander, wander, wanderers, you see? Well, when we're wandering, we lose our assurance. Oh, we might not lose salvation. If we're really a believer, we won't. But, but our assurance, you see. And assurance, do I really belong to or not, is a complicated matter. Some of its personality, I think, in my, all my years of talking to people, some of us are more difficult to assure of anything, but more difficult to assure. It's just the nature of the thing, of our personalities, if you will. Some are wired in some ways, others not. But more specifically, the way that we are assured the basis of what we believe. You see, that's the, the key thing, to trust in who Christ is and what he's done. But the other thing is to see it in the context of, of our lives. That's James' point. What's happening here, people are wandering, some perhaps doctrinally from the truth, but others just, as we might say, morally or ethically, the way that they're, they're living, their lives are betraying their own hearts, and we're wondering about that. What do you really believe? If you can live this way, if you can be a slanderer, if you can be a gossip, if you can be a liar, if you can be a thief, if you can be unfaithful in your 
relationships and your marriage, if you can be sexually immoral, these kinds of things, if you can do all of that and justify it in your own mind, not repent of it, not see the sin of it, not have it worry you that you're displeasing the Lord, you see, being flippant about it, you have to wonder, am I wandering? And then you begin to wonder, am I one of those two middle soils? <laughs> did, I, did I get it and now it's gone? What's true? And those kinds of things come into our mind. It comes into the mind of those who love you in the church. We begin to think about what's, what's going on in the context of your life. And how do you know for sure? The way you know for sure then is to go and to have someone come with that word. And then the question is, how do you respond to it? How do you respond? And if you respond in repentance, everyone rejoices. Yeah. But if you don't, how do you keep from getting there? How do you keep from getting there? Well, we learn that as we study the scripture, there are very mean, there's a number of what we call means of grace, ways that God's grace and strength and help comes to us. And you, you could know these, even if you've never heard that expression before. If I gave you a multiple choice test, you'd pass it. Because you'd, you'd say, oh, and I would say, I would put, what are the means of grace? I would put the word of God, prayer, sacraments, sacraments and the fellowship of the saints or all of the above right you go all of the above you you, you know that right you may say them a little differently but we get that we know that that it's the scripture right that 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 gives grace to us it's the the seed that's in us and 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 when I read the Bible what I'm thinking in my own mind is this external word is now resonating with the Holy Spirit who is within me because he wrote it, right? So these are his words. And so, so he wrote it through these human authors, through their own personalities, and their own experiences, and all of that. How he did it, I don't know. But, 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 but it's this, the word of God. And so when I read this, it should resonate within me. All oh, I've struggled with it at times. Uh, but but I, I give in, you see. Because it's the word of God and not mine. And so I know I must submit to it. Because it's true and he's always right. And his rightness is always for my benefit. And for his glory which go hand in hand. And so I think, all right. And so the word of God strengthens me. It's a two-edged sword as the scripture says. It restores the soul. It renews the mind. Then we know our praying. It brings grace to us. We pray. We go into the throne of grace. The author of Hebrews tells us boldly to receive mercy and help in every time of Every time of need. And the sacraments bring grace to us as well. When we see a baptism, we're reminded of the cleansing that comes only through Jesus. And it checks our own spirits. Do I believe that? Oh, yes. And we come to the table. We realize that he's Jesus for us. See, do I believe that? Oh, yes. And then fellowship, of course, because we do all of these things together. That's what I'm going to talk to you about on Wednesday nights, about the rituals that we have. We do all of this together. We, We share the word with each other, you see. We hear it from each other. And that brings grace and help to us. We pray with and for each other. We receive the sacraments together. So when I listen to baptism and hear the words and see it, I, yeah, 
And when I come to the table, I look around and I see people coming from all kinds of situations and all kinds of life experiences. And here they are. And that blesses me as well as we take this together in, in our fellowship together. But all of these bring warnings to us as well. Encouragements, yes, but warnings as well. When the scripture come, comes to me, I have to ask the question, do I believe this? Do I really believe this? Will I really submit to this? And when I find myself kicking against it, oh, I wonder, am I wandering? But when I embrace it, I go, yes, it's true. It brings great assurance to my soul. The same way as I pray, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that he'll hear me and that he does hear me? Am I willing to submit to his response to my prayers? You see, The scripture says, if your heart doesn't condemn you, we have confidence before the Father. Do I have confidence? And on what basis? Christ or me? Do I trust him? As I fellowship together, it's a reminder, am I playing at this? Am I having to put something on? When I show up at worship, do I have to put on sort of my best self? Or can I just simply come? You see, what's it really like? Or do I avoid the scripture? Do I avoid praying? Do I avoid gathering? And then the sacraments. Baptism, for instance, brings this great uh, encouragement. Look, there's cleansing. But water is not only a sign of cleansing in the Bible, it's a sign of a curse too. Floods. If you believe, you're cleansed. If you don't, you're drowned, you see. And here as well. Scripture says that we're to examine ourselves. So before we worry about the wanderers, let's think about ourselves today. As we come to this table, ask yourself this. Do I really believe? Oh, you say, well, I sin. I I get that. Trust me. We all do. But, But the question is when you sin and you're confronted with your sin, or by the word you read, or by the word you hear, by the word that you know. When you're confronted with your sin, what do you do with that? Well, you say, well, sometimes I just bury it. I get that too. But do you bury it forever? Or doesn't, does there come a day when you go, I need to name that, that sin. Please, God, forgive me. Please, God, help me with that that I would overcome that. That's how it should be, you see. So we examine ourselves. Do we know that Jesus, for us, gave himself? The night that he was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Do this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, the apostle tells us, until he comes. Is that a sincere proclamation? Is that a real proclamation? That as you come to this table, are you proclaiming the Lord's death? That means, are you proclaiming that he for you gave himself that you might live? And if he hadn't done that, you would have no life. Are you proclaiming that you've repented and you now desire to follow him? Oh, you won't do it perfectly. I won't do it perfectly. But to follow him. And when confronted with our sin to repent and trust. And when confronted with his word, we'll pray that the spirit will help us to live it out. Is that true for you? Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us. That it would be true of us. Maybe today is the first day it would be true. But true nonetheless. And so I pray that each of us would, before we're worried about those others who are wandering, would examine our own hearts. And even now, to repent, to confess, to receive. That we may come to this table Proclaiming the Lord's death. So please, I pray, set apart this bread, this juice in such a way that we know we're in the very presence of Jesus. And we who are weary can come to him for rest. And this I pray in Jesus' name.